Welcome to Industrial Marketing Live. My name is Peyton Warren, and I am a senior strategist here at the Industrial Marketing Agency, Gorilla 76, and I'm one of your IML hosts. Uh, so uh, the last couple of weeks that we've been jumping into these, I have been kicking us off with just a quick FYI, and I want to continue that because it is next month that we are going to be gathering in Austin, Texas for the Industrial Marketing Summit. It's been great to see everyone joining us here on these virtual sessions and joining us in Slack and all these different things. But I know so many of uh, so many folks in this group are planning to come to Austin. And if that is in the cards for you, I wanted to extend that invitation formally. So we are partnering with some awesome industrial marketing partners, True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to host this in-person event called the Industrial Marketing Summit. It's going to take place January 31st through February 2nd in Austin, and we would just love to see you there. Uh, the sessions are all up on the website now, industrialmarketingsummit.com, and there's new blog content getting posted all the time with some deeper information about those sessions and uh, the like. But yeah, if you have questions about it, hey, you can ask me today because we're in an Ask Me Anything episode of IML, uh, but you can also reach out to any gorilla in uh, the Slack community or on LinkedIn, and we'd be glad to help tell you more about it. So back to our scheduled programming, which I, I've alluded to already a couple of times. It's going to be an Ask Me Anything episode. Uh, we want to just celebrate the end of the year by making this a free-for-all. <laughs> um, we want to take questions about work, uh, you know, your marketing programs that you're developing, what's working, what's not, um, career development, or otherwise, wherever you want to go, we're down for it. And uh, we are going to just kind of stoke the conversation in a few ways. One is that we've asked the Gorilla 76ers who joined the Gorillas on the call you guys can all give a little wave. Most of our company is actually in a leadership meeting today. Um, well, a big chunk of it. And uh, so we've got a good group, but we're missing some faces. Uh, so we've asked them to consider something they're super glad that they've learned this year and that they'd be happy to share with the group. We've also reached out to the IML Slack community and uh, asked them for some of their questions. So we've got a good bank rolling already. And uh, then the last thing is we want to ask y'all, like, what is something that you're really proud of this year? What is something that you have been um, excited about or something that's worked really well for you? And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of go from, from there. So feel free to drop your questions in the chat and we'll pull them in. But to get us started, I'm going to go with like the very first question that we got, which was from the lovely Chris Carolyn. Hey, Chris, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, always happy to be with you guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, um, if you remember, it was 10 days ago, you asked about communities um, and you were asking if we have discussed uh, online communities outside of LinkedIn, Slack, Reddit, welders of Instagram. Uh, anything you want to kind of add to some color there about, about kind of what you're curious about. Yeah. I'm just, uh, curious if anybody else has found like, you know, this, even the smallest of niche, uh, communities or online gatherings, 
Um, because we hear a lot of that as marketers, like, you know, where you need to go and where the audience is. And we all know there's large audiences on LinkedIn, um, but a lot of them are lurkers. So it's kind of hard to prove that they're there sometimes when you're trying to do new stuff. Uh, but also there's all these industry associations, the ones running the shows and, you know, the gatherings that used to happen in person and still do happen in person, usually found a way to make them happen online during, you know, the two years of no trade shows. I'm curious if anybody else has seen that or, you know, any kind of patterns related to, you know, trying to find out how they congregate and where they congregate online. Yeah. I, if anybody in the audience has an answer to Chris's question, you know, I think a lot, most of you guys are kind of in the front lines, you know, in-house. Uh, so is there any niche communities that you are leveraging uh, inside of your marketing? Um, I know. Mike Tal just said he's, he's a tons of Facebook groups. So Mike, uh, if you're comfortable, you want to jump on? Can I talk about how you're finding some of these guys or gals? Yep, sure thing. So in the Facebook groups, there's just a ton of you just have to search. Uh, there's there's a bunch of them out there, especially in the machining niche, machine shop niche, welding niche. Uh, just you gotta you gotta really search them out and find. Just do some, just do a keyword search uh, within groups, and you you'll get them. And I I come across a lot that that are just suggestions within the feed. Um, my Mike, Facebook, are they active? I got those groups pretty active. Yeah, and when when you ask to join, uh, some of them are private, some of them are, are public. <clears throat> you'll see how many posts they do a week or a day within those groups. Mm. So it, it, that helps a little bit. Nice. Okay. Uh, I also wanted to call out Luke Wittenbreaker because Luke and I have been talking about this a little bit throughout the year, but Luke did something really creative years and years ago, which was he actually started a group for yeah. his audience. like and then you didn't touch it right like you didn't touch it for a really long time uh, I, I, planted like, a, I, I planted an acorn like a decade ago and then i was just laughing with Peyton because i i'm the admin and i have to let people in and that's pretty much all i've been doing for 10 years is just saying approve anybody uh and now it's grown to like ten thousand people and i'm trying to figure out how to leverage it but i'm the same as i'm the same as mike i see these uh, everybody talks about Facebook groups being kind of out. There's all these sort of niche groups that people want to post cool pictures and talk about stuff. And on the other hand, they also don't want to be sold to there. So I just try to go in and be the nice, friendly expert that answers a question or whatnot. And hope they reach out about something else. Groups honestly seems like the most effective thing about Facebook. Like the the feed is garbage usually for me, but it's like the groups I'm in are really active. You know, I'm in a bunch of like ones for for the army and then for like Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and uh, those are super active and like you can actually have good conversations with people in there. Um, way better than LinkedIn groups. LinkedIn groups are trash. Um, but yeah, uh, Mike and Luke, that's 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 great. Um, Chris, you had also asked about uh, industry associations. So has anybody had any success leveraging any of your, you know? trade journals, industry associations, trade groups, like have, have any of those been effective or is it just kind of like them asking for your money to do webinars and articles and, and all that kind of stuff? 
it is crickets on the Zoom feed right now. So it seems like the oh, we got one. Andrew, Andrew, you want to hop on here if you're comfortable? Yeah. I'm so glad yeah, you guys sure. have your videos on. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure if my hand raised would get noticed. Um, so I don't know if this relates to, sorry, I don't know if this relates to any of you, but like at least for us at Harpac Oma, we have a lot of like membership groups that we're a part of and we do like a lot of paid partnerships as well. So like PMMI is they're, they're the people who put on Pack Expo every year. Like having mm -hmm. a close relationship with those people really helps. And I think like, you know, if you're if you're paying to have like a membership or partnership with some group in your industry, networking with those people is great because even if it's not like a strictly defined community, you're kind of building your own like friend group in a way um, with people in your space. And I find that that's really helpful. I found the same thing, Andrew, with in Missouri, um, you know, just the Missouri Association of Manufacturers getting connected with that group has been really, really nice like one it's like getting connected to a bunch of marketers there um from like the agency pr perspective we've been able to provide some support uh support their events and different things like that even if it is just like commenting and like getting reach i think the networking potential is just really great um meeting peers in your field uh, is really cool uh and i would like just to echo back kind of something Luke said earlier, as far as like, just, you know, I, I, well, one is like folks don't want to be sold to in these communities. So it's like, okay, you get there, you get in. And like, I think you can become a lurker yourself and just observe, see what the sort of things they're talking about. Maybe you can get content ideas and that's a way you could like leverage those really tight communities. Um, but also like if you're comfortable or maybe you just like let your company know like others like subject matter experts like, hey, are you guys a member of this group? And maybe like kind of get them involved and they might just start organically contributing to that space because it's relevant to them. And before you know it, it's like, mm. you know, Joe Welder at so-and-so is, you know, responding and he's like answering questions. And then it just maybe that association um, with your company could be um could be a really good way. But I know, you know, Reddit's starting to get into the paid media game too. Um, that was something that was kind of a popular conversation on LinkedIn earlier this year. Um, I've not experimented with that, but something to also... Like, like Luke found out with that post he did in Slack, uh, Redditors don't like being sold to uh, in the feed, right? Like, I think Reddit ads are okay, but like, I think you're going to go into like the manufacturing group and be like, I got this really cool machine. They're going to be like, no, get out of here. You're banned. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you have to be careful with that. Um, the one thing I'm interested in for all of you with 2024 coming right around the corner, has anybody looked into like communities around people, right? So like, influencers like micro influencers like has anybody started to kind of broach that topic of how do we partner with somebody that has a following in our niche uh to have them kind of talk about our products is anybody doing that it's Let's written see. on my whiteboard that i want to do it yeah uh had a couple and really it's just kind of an exploratory mode i, I don't I've never done it before. We've used agents as this kind of finder's fee type thing, which mm -hmm. has my wheels spinning on it. But it sort of organically happened where 
some customers came to us via LinkedIn or via Instagram. And I just started answering questions in the comments, kind of like the Facebook groups. And then I click through to the profile and it's like, oh, this guy posts every day and has yeah 14,000 followers. And I was like, I just told that guy, I said, hey, I'll give you a free rental because we rent equipment if you post some cool stuff about our, or, you know, open, honest, post whatever you want about it. And he's like, okay. And uh, hmm. so that's what happened. And that created created the idea to make a plan around it, but I don't have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, and I think that's okay, Luke. It just something that kind of just pops up organically. Um, from what I've seen, not in manufacturing, but like the people I follow, like that are in other industries, it it really seems to work best when it's just like you directly reaching out to the person and just starting a direct relationship instead of dealing with brokers and agents and getting into that crazy mess. Um, I think it like, so Chris, like if, if I was looking at it community wise, I think like Mike said, look into Facebook groups and then, you know, try to find that those one or two people that have even a small following, right? Like a 1500 people that are like always listening to what this person is saying. Like it doesn't, you don't have to look for like Kardashian sized or, uh, you know, Mike Rowe sized audiences, right? It could just be, yeah. Like, like 14,000 people is like, that's a good amount of people. Uh, if they're like in your niche and in your industry. So, um, that's, that to me seems like a really good way to, um, start building a community is just using somebody that's already built one themselves. Um, and kind of just leveraging that, you know, it's going to cost money, like everything in marketing does, but, uh, just that to me seems like probably the, the best way to, to go about building up your own following. Yeah, for sure. And and this kind of stems from like, now that I'm on the agency side of things, I'm making sure to check myself before giving people the advice that I received mm-hmm. and knowing that I couldn't like do any of that stuff because yeah. right now we're just, for me, our go-to-market is like Slack communities, HubSpot user groups and LinkedIn and that's it. Yeah. But I know I can't tell like people that we want to work with that because their people might not be in those channels. So yeah, this has been super helpful. I appreciate it. Yeah. It was a great question. We had another one, um, and I don't know that I see Mary Keo in here yet, but she had a question. Um, I might just punt that one for a minute and see if she yeah, joins. Let's, in. let's see if she joins in. Luke's here. Let's do Luke's question. Yeah, Luke. Um, Luke asked, everyone wants to know what's working. I would love to hear of something that didn't work. Wah, wah. Failures. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, whether that's just something that took a lot of time, effort, dollars, something that went in and just fell flat. I have one on the paid media side. Uh, so I got all jazzed up on these new document ads for LinkedIn and I was like, oh "Oh, man, these are going to be, these are going to be really sweet. Uh, they weren't, uh, at least for our audience, uh, they didn't turn out like I was hoping, um, you know, just like pretty low engagement on them. Uh, the way LinkedIn hasn't set up, like people can't like, there's no landing page, right? It's just your creative. So you get people that scroll through, nobody's downloading the white papers. Uh, you know, even like a document ad that's like maybe six slides long, like people are going like three in. So just not engaging with them very well. Um, you get a lot of clicks, like a lot of people click on them. Uh, so you can build up a retargeting audience, which is kind of nice. Uh, but just in terms of like, you know, think about demand generation and getting our content out there and being experts and building trust, just kind of seemed like that it was not as effective as, you know, just a video or a single image ad. So for right now, 
I'm uh, I'm off of document ads and carousel ads. Both of yeah, them. Mike, it's, I, I thought the same thing. I thought engineers would love the white papers that we're putting out. Uh, they just don't love them in LinkedIn feeds, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay. they're looking for something a little lighter, I guess. Okay, so Claire had a really funny one. Claire, you want to? Can you hop on live? Or no, you said you don't have a mic, right? Um, I'm just at a coffee shop, so it's a little bit loud. But if you guys can hear me, we're at a yeah. wastewater trade show. And I had brought the best beef jerky in the world. It's from Mike's Country Meats in Wisconsin. And we set out little strips in Dixie cups, these cute little brown Dixie cups. They were like recycled cardboard. It was perfect. And no one was taking them. I couldn't believe it. And then finally, towards the end of the day, someone was like, oh, I thought that was some poop thing. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Oh my god, that is hilarious! Especially at a wastewater treatment show, that is really funny, Claire. Oh my god, <laughs> dying. Oh yeah, Matthew asks, "Where in Wisconsin is Mike's Meats?" Tigerton, small little town, but they do sell online. There you go, Mike's Meats. Delicious beef jerky. Just make sure you have it in context. <laughs> Anything? Oh. Any? Anybody else have a have a big fail this year? Nope, everyone had great years, looks like. I mean, uh, I'll just say, uh, figured out for myself this year that I'm not built for inside of the organization and uh, worked very closely with the team at Gorilla to create a great strategy, you know, built with paid ads and content marketing and customer interviews and all the things. And it just really showed the importance of organizational alignment before you start executing. And so we were doing great paid ads work. We had a great content plan going, um, but there was shifts inside the organization and SME engagement went down. And even though the paid ads were great, like the fact that the rest of the strategy wasn't, wasn't coming up behind it, you know, uh, I'd kind of heard about that in the past, but seeing it happen real time really showed like how important all the pieces are. So a lot of the advice, uh, you know, I share right now is nothing against paid ads, but just make sure it's not the only thing that you're doing, right? It's very easy to turn the, the paid ads money faucets on. They're all around you. Uh, and, but if you don't back it up with the rest of the strategy, the holistic stuff like it's it's not going to work the way you want it to i was just talking to another um marketer who's just been put into a role of marketing for the first time at his company and we were like kind of talking about you know the guerrilla strategy and different things like that and then the question came up like oh, okay well what about email it's like well i i didn't include that in like the guerrilla piece but you should still do it and so I think it's like that in-house, like you said, like the in-house layer, like they're being an in-house marketer is there. It's so complex what y'all are having to do. The number of hats that you are having to wear, like, yes, um, I think that like the paid media side is really complicated and just trying to keep up with the different settings and algorithms and making sure you're loading the campaigns and telling the stories in the right way and optimizing them. Like that's, that's a bear in, in and of itself. Um, 
And that's why, you know, like as an agency, we just focus on that. But, um, and like the content that supports it. But like, to Chris's point, like you, if you put all of like your entire like company, like marketing strategy in that, just that one basket, it's still just one channel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think that it's really important, you know, when you're thinking bigger than just like maybe what you're doing with one partner, but like, yeah, what are you going to do for email? What about like, how are you improving this audience? This, okay. So we are going to do paid media for this audience and we're going to start here and then maybe we'll scale, but how are we going to nurture the folks who've already been involved with our company in the past? We can't just let that drop. And, um, what about these events? Like, do we need to be doing, doing things like what, how can we enhance this trade show experience if we are going to go to it? Um, what are we doing with the leads after that? So yeah, I can, it's, it's a big job, but I think it's like just taking a step back and like looking at your whole list of all of your segments and thinking, what's the one thing I'm doing there? I, I don't think it has to be like every single segment or product line has like the most robust uh, marketing program behind it, but moving the needle a little bit in each one of those sections. That way you don't just end up with all your eggs in one basket. And I don't know, it's, it's a risk of failure too, you know, if you do do it that way. Mm-hmm. Hey, and I was thinking we can maybe move to some folks that are live today and set up, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to some of these Slack questions. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so Rachel is live today. Uh, she has to stay muted though. So I'll, I'll ask uh, her question for her. Um, so she said, uh, my boss asked me yesterday when reviewing some LinkedIn ad opportunities, do you have to run a paid campaign for consecutive months or can you do two months on or two months off or, you know, what, like a one month on one month off throughout the year to kind of stretch the budget out? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you definitely can Rachel, um, you know, as you stretch things out, right. If you go to like two months, is kind of a long time. So maybe, you know, like do one month, um, and kind of do one month on one month off. Or like with Gorilla, like what we like to do with our paid campaigns is to do six week ad sprints, right? Where an ad will be live for six weeks. So maybe you could do like six weeks on and then you take, you know, four to six weeks off and then come back in. Um, the 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 idea that we have with our ads is that we kind of always want them to be on so that when somebody enters into that buying mode, right? Because we, we always talk about, you know, one to 3% of your audience is in the buying mode at any given time. So as somebody enters into the buying mode, are they still seeing your company's ads when it comes time for them to start thinking of, you know, moving into that consideration buying mode. Um, If you've been putting out good ads and good content, you know, developing yourself as an expert in the area, building trust that your company can get done what you say you can get done. um, Yeah. Maybe you can go off for, for a period of time to save some budget and then come back in, especially like if you tie it into like the cyclicality of your business, right? Like I think we all can kind of see like, yeah, Q4 kind of gets pretty low, you know, like, we're seeing December has been a pretty slow month across a lot of our clients. Um, and we're anticipating, you know, January to be a little bit bigger. So, you know, maybe like you start ramping up ads two to three weeks before, you know, somebody like you can kind of see like when the ramps are in your CRM, right? Like we get a lot of leads in Q1 and then things dip in Q2. So maybe like you, you time your ad strategy so that you're live right before, you know, people start, you know, filling in leads historically for you. So I think I think that could definitely be an option. Um, I just I, I would 
hesitate to stretch it out too far though right like you get out two to three months and then it's like i don't i don't remember ads i saw three months ago i don't remember ads i saw two months ago so that's just something to keep in mind like there is some of that you know that ad decay or that ad recall decay that you're going to experience so if you can keep those windows a little tighter um i think you're gonna have a better success and staying top of mind even if your ads are off at any given time and the other thing you could do too right is cold ads in cycles right you know cycle one ad you turn for cycle two you turn the ads off but if you keep a really small budget of retargeting live at any given time so anybody that visits your website has engaged with your ads in the last six months has been to your linkedin company page you know you can run those ads for uh, the minimum on linkedin is ten dollars a day the minimum on meta is like nothing right so you can run those for pretty cheap so if you can have a budget of three hundred dollars you can always have retargeting ads live on linkedin um, and then as you have budget, you know, maybe you do one sprint a quarter and you run it for a month or two um, or six weeks or whatever. And then you can kind of cycle that in as time goes on. But that way, like your ads are always live and you have a nice layer of retargeting ads that are, you know, still distributing like expert articles, all your blog content videos, call to action. Um, just I think that would be a good option for you. So I ramble a lot. Is there uh, huh, anybody else in the audience that has any other ideas on that? Yeah, I saw Aaron, you come off mute. I don't know if you've got a perspective. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the the note about retargeting is really good. So you always have some consistency with people who have engaged with you before. I also think if budget is a concern throughout the year, um, it's really important to understand how your budget and your audience size align, right? So if your budget is determined like, oh, I need to spend 3000 a month, but I can't afford to do that every month of the year, Maybe you look at making your audience a little bit smaller and more niche down so you can spend a smaller amount every single month and still have some consistency because I think that like ad decay, like that retention and and like memorability of your brand is like a big thing. Um, and so, yeah, if you can always have up retargeting or if you can go to like a more niche down audience at a lower budget, I feel like that could help solve the problem, too. Yeah, the frequency piece is really big. Um I, if if you only have the budget on LinkedIn to run ads where you're getting a three, frequency of three every month, and that's all you can do, probably stay away from that. Uh, I just don't think that's enough budget to make a big impact on LinkedIn. Like we're trying to, I, when I'm building plans right now, I'm trying to get our frequencies on LinkedIn up into the nine and then, you know, up above 10 on Facebook. So um, yeah, like Aaron said, like you have to build, make sure you build your audience to fit the budget that you have. So don't be like, yep. Uh, in January, we're going to run a huge audience, 100,000 people, and I got $3,000. Like You're going to get like one or two frequency out of that, and then you you turn things off. So I'd rather you see you go down to like a 15,000-person audience and deliver more ads to that audience that's really highly targeted that you know will be impacted by the content that you're putting out. And, and that's something that has kind of changed, honestly, at Gorilla I, as we've been like learning more about how folks are using these platforms and stuff like that. We used to be more okay with like the three or four touches a month as far as like the number of times you're being, you're showing that ad. But um, yeah, I mean, like Brennan and Aaron have been saying, well, like uh, the ad recall. Clarification that Peyton, it's, it's not like one campaign is at nine, right? I'm trying to run like two campaigns at a time that yeah. each have a frequency of like four and a half or five. But putting and your way- brand in front, like your brand yes. logo yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of them X number of times, telling different pieces of the story, but just making sure that you are touching them that, that many times um, is is good. Yeah, um, Rachel, I would I I would at least try to get that frequency up to six. Um, 
Five basically gets you an ad a week. Um, and so I'd like to see you try to get your frequency up a little higher uh, for all of your campaigns together in the, the cold layer. Um, and even like on the retargeting side too, just to uh, make sure that you're in the feed enough. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. If six doesn't work, go to seven. <laughs> Rachel, in the chat, Rachel said, I have a weird thing about the number six, so I'll go to seven. Um, um, so next question, Matthew uh, Olson, uh, do you want to come on live to talk about your question about Gmail and Yahoo validation? We'll try our best. To we'll try our best in this one. We are not email experts, but maybe somebody in here is. No, I, I appreciate it. And it's something that we got notifications about and we tried to start letting everybody know. Um, February 1st, uh, Google and Yahoo are implementing like an extra layer of validation needed. So if you're sending email blasts out to your customers, and I think this might include even with HubSpot and other CRMs, mm. that they're requiring like an elevated level of authentication. And we, strangely enough, we work with a nonprofit donor platform and they turned around and tried to call BS on it. I'm like, well, here's the news release from Google. Here's the news release from Yahoo. But the question is, is like, has anyone else ever been faced with managing elements of their DNS or domain validation with like DMARC or DKIM or uh, SPF? Anyone have good success with it in helping with deliverability, or is this like super far down a rabbit hole? Matthew, is this only for Gmail and Yahoo, right? So it's not affecting like Outlook or any of like like the bigger. They're announcing that it's just uh, public Gmail and okay. Yahoo accounts, but they're expecting Outlook and a lot of the other mm -hmm. private carriers to start uh attaching onto this level of validation yeah my my experience with so in the past life i worked for an ed tech startup and one of our responsibilities and like the the software tool that we made was um uh it was like notifications and so we did notifications via email text phone calls all of those different sorts of things and um Deep, it was all through school districts. Um, yeah. So like making sure that that email actually got delivered to the parent, you know, or the guardian, like that is very important, very, very important. Um, so it was part of the process and I wasn't super involved in this, but like to just like make sure that you are, you have, you do have access to your domain registrar and you can update those records, those SPF the TXT, um, you know, just making sure, like what I would say, my gut says like, and I, I've not really looked into this is like, all right, if they're updating their, their, I guess, preferences on what you're supposed to do with DMARC and um, the SPF records, just make sure that you read that article and add those records to your DNS. Um, and you might need to just work with your, developer or your IT professional to make sure that because there's like multiple layers depending on how big your company is like school districts for example sometimes they have like an internal DNS that has like that blocks certain domains or or, or, or just access to you know certain sites like they don't want you on Facebook at school um, stuff like that and then they also have like the public facing DNS so it's like Depending on how big your company is, you might be having that too. But I, I would say that read the article when it comes out, 
if they have suggestions for records that you should add to your DNS, add them um, and, and talk with your IT team. But that's all I really know about it, and it's not much. Or you could use my solution and solve this really easily and stop sending newsletters. <laughs> well, you know, and that that question came up in the chat too, uh, or, or in uh, Slack, and it's actually I think folks are still uh, talking in the IML Slack about it too. But you know, just folks' opinions on newsletters in general. So we could we could go there next if we want to. <laughs> Why not? I think it kind of depends on like what type of business you're in when it comes to newsletters. Like if you're in more of like that commodity business, like sometimes just reminding people you exist, like prompts a lot of new business because it's like, oh, yeah, I do need more of this, you know, products that you sell. Um, but I think sometimes if you have that like larger, more complex, more um, customized solution, um, more of like that, okay, buy a $2 million machine. You're probably not going to get that direct response from your email, but some regular like educational touch points can still be useful. I think it's just harder to track like the success from point A to point B, um, with a newsletter that way. Yeah. The other thing that I would say as far as like content for newsletters is, um, yeah, I don't think they're dead. Um, as, as you said, Regine, as uh, in your question, but I think that as far as format goes, like you can start light, like maybe quarterly just to stay top of mind if you don't have the capacity to really do anything more often. Um, but whatever you're sending, just make sure it's relevant to the people you're sending it to. Like if you're selling a product to the landfill industry, but your company has products for recycle tire recycling and landfills. It's like those are two very different groups. So I don't need to be telling the landfill customers all about our tire recycling. It's just different. Um, so like just making sure that you have the segmentation in place um, so that, you know, if it's something that's relevant to everybody, maybe you select all those different uh, lists. But if it's not, then leave those folks out. That way you're not getting them with like content that they're just like, Hey, this is not relevant. Unsubscribe. Um, but, uh, something that I've seen success with, with one of my clients is we've just tried, like, if it's a newsletter, like actually tying it to the news, um, like what is happening, um, in the world. And then looking at content that we have in our blog, um, that is relevant to that and kind of like expounding on it in the email copy. And then saying, like, if you want to read more about this, we've talked about it here, you know, and so it's more of just like distributing content is the way that we've used it for that client in particular. Okay, I know the chat is crazy. I think uh, continuing to scrutinize email as a channel in general is important. So to your point, Matthew, like, I feel like this year has hit an all time high as far as all the random stuff that is just not getting through via email, even experiencing things internally, you know, and that was after, you know, trying to email my boss who's getting 200 emails and not even seeing. So I have to go across the office to tell him that I emailed him. Right. And like, so if the goals are like starting conversations or building relationships and you compare it you know, going back to the earlier comments about community and finding those places, uh, 
Like we're not trying to build an email list right now just because the people who want to come to our webinars, they're having to sign up like three times because they're not getting the Zoom you know, notification for some reason, random things like that. Meanwhile, I know the effort I put into direct messaging uh, or engagement in places like Slack and LinkedIn, there's like a hundred percent, you know, response rate when I do that. So I think like, uh, you know, if people can take a minute and a lot of the energy that's spent in trying to get email to work for you, if you were to look at some of the other ways you could try and engage people, you might find that you get a lot of be a lot better return on the energy, you know, behind those mechanisms. And if you think about it from a, if we're not just used to doing email and we're trying to just have conversations, it's, it will, it would never have been that the first channel you'd think of if, if all these other channels have been available to us. Right. So that's it. So Chris, yeah, just to, to push back on that a little bit, um, you know, we're talking about like trying to find like, where's my audience at? Like, where are these manufacturing engineers at? Uh, are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Facebook? Are they on Reddit? Are they on YouTube? Are they following this micro influence influencer? Um, everyone in that works in business has an email, right? So uh, they, they do have an email, right? So um, I, yeah, there's definitely challenges in delivery and making good content, but if you treat it right, I think it can still be very powerful. Um, but just to think like, you're going to throw a picture of your company on there and talk about only yourself. And here's our sweet offer, you know, buy a pump. Uh, yeah, probably not super effective, but if you use it, like you would a paid social, right. Where you're like, we just wrote this great article. Uh, here's how it is affects you, right. Here's like a nice image. Here's a summary from the article that you can read in the email without clicking to the link, but here's a link. If you want more information, I think email could still be very effective, very powerful. Like I said, everyone has one that uses business. Um, you just gotta just treat it right. Find and, you got to find the email addresses too, right? But I, I think it still could be powerful. But yeah, Chris, you're right. There's definitely challenges with it, but there's challenges with every channel, right? Um, I just think it'd be uh, maybe a little short-sighted to say like, we're just going to not do email. Right. So do you yeah, agree? Like, it's, it's a party, like, do you have the capacity to do it right now? Like, like you said, Chris, like you guys running kind of bootstrappy. So you have to pick the channels that are going to work for you. Right. But if you're an in-house marketer at a large corporation, like when I was at Graco, um, we were doing emails to our distribution, right? To do mass education on new products, right? Um, and then we follow that up with personal conversations. But to think like we were just not going to do email was not really even an option. Right. But like that was our like that was our already built-in customers, right? Um, probably not going to do any cold email, right? Like this is a place where somebody already we already have a relationship with, and it's just another way for us to continue to build that relationship cheap. Um, it, you know, cheap. We have self created content and and you know, host website or email. Um, but I definitely make it a part of your consideration set if you're in house and you have some people that are already engaged with you. It's a, just a great way to stay in touch with people, and keep you top of mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I, let me let me hop in there real quick on this email thing, because Chris, you know, you're absolutely right that email, the name of the game has changed in 2023. Like we've seen the spam filters have just you know started flagging a lot more things, right? And why is that? It's email uh, domain reputation score. The algorithms have changed in the background there. And so we were talking about newsletters earlier. And let me go ahead and throw in you know, a, a plus one for why newsletters can be great. Part of email reputation score is your open rate, right? So if you have a highly engaged audience, you're getting like you know, 20, 30% open rate on something and you're pinging them with a newsletter, that's going to increase your domain reputation score. So you can help fix some of that stuff that happens. 
The other thing that I've seen, you know, a, a mistake that's commonly made with cold email uh, campaigns is tying that to your company's domain. So I always recommend to have a subdomain or a separate domain for any cold emailing, because otherwise your reputation score can just tank super, super hard. And then suddenly before you know it, everything's going to spam. So sorry guys to jump in. I know I'm uh, new, but uh, email touched a node there because I feel like there's a lot going on. Cool. Well, I know we're getting close to the time. I can't believe it, but we had a question come in in Slack that I think is going to get the conversation rolling here right at the end um, about um, trade shows. Uh, so we had... Uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, Ryan uh, asked um, really just anything about trade shows. Um, and we did a couple episodes on them uh, earlier this year. But yeah, maybe before I just like read your um, your comment, uh, Ryan, uh, if you want to come off of mute and kind of talk about just what would be helpful uh, for you, we can go that route. Yeah, sure. Um, I am new, um, so I miss those IML lives before, which I'm sure, uh, you know, it's like coming in late to a Zoom meeting and asking the question that just happened no. like five minutes ago. Unfortunately, um, those are the recordings that we deleted, so you'll never be able to see yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, trade shows. I mean, it's. Uh, I think I. It's a little bit of a wonder for me still of how. What are maybe like the three to five things to focus on being limited to a ten by ten space mm-hmm. at a huge once every four years type of trade show. Um, with a new startup company with an awesome product. And I think a lot yeah. of people are going to be interested, but it's a tiny little space. And uh, so my goal is to basically uh, go to an expo that's regional in the spring, um, shop it out, take images, take take notes, um, kind of build a booth in late spring, and then go to our trade show in the early fall. So what would you guys, top three, five things say like, these are the must do's for a 10 by 10 in a big ocean of big players. I I know this is going to be challenging, Ryan, but um, I I think with you guys, especially like you have to try to figure out how do you get a robot or at least like show off your software uh, in, in the booth. I know that's going to be super difficult with the size of booth that you have. And I don't even know if it's even legal, like with a 10 by 10 to get a robot in there. Um, But if there's any way that you guys can get some of your, your componentry or machinery in a booth or even like a software demo. Um, I think that is like, that's what people like, they can see the images of your guys' box hopper and all that stuff on the website. Right. Like, so they can see that, but like to see, that's what people go to trade shows, right. They want to put their hands on stuff. They want to feel it. And they want to just like, see it in, in person. And so if you, if at all possible, um, try to try to see if there's a way to get, any of your machinery into the booth. I think that would be cute. Even maybe a miniature version of it, but just something that somebody can look at. Um, I just hate to see you guys go in there with like a backdrop and some pencils and be like, here, here's, you know, this brand new startup. So um, you're in a, you're in a tough situation. Um, But yeah, I I think it's, can you figure out a way to get hands-on with your people? Although, because, there's probably gonna be a lot of other robotics companies at the show that you're going to, and they're gonna have robots. So maybe you don't want to have an actual robot if everyone has one, but there's gotta be something that you can do to show off like your guys' capabilities. 
Rachel just put something good in the chat and I would echo it. I think especially when you're like new in the scene, that's another thing people come to trade shows for is to figure out like what's new, what's innovative. And I think that's an advantage you have being a new startup. People will be interested in what you have to offer. Even if you just have a 10 by 10 booth, it's like your knowledge and your solution that's going to be the big draw. But what Rachel said in the chat was like doing a lot of promotion with your existing customers or like people you already know are going to be there or people you want to connect with, that pre-work can go a long way. And especially with um, those industry publications too, just like trying to get a lot of buzz and like get the traffic dr drawn to your booth and not rely on people just like walking by because you don't have a ton of space to, uh, like Brendan said, show off a product. Um, I will say in 10 by 10 booths in the past, having like a big video monitor like really helps too, just something like visual and moving if you can't get um, physical product in there. But yeah, the pre-work matters a lot. Yeah, if there is any speaking engagements, getting your guys' CEO there to do a talk and because I know he's very passionate about what you guys are doing. So I think it would be really impactful for, yeah, if there's any speaking sessions for him to get in front of people and have chats. Like I, I remember like this was at, at some pump show we were doing for Graco and our product manager got up and did a really great presentation. And after the talk, uh, he got hounded by people out in the hallway and he talked for another hour with people um, out there. And that wasn't by the booth. Uh, that was just him, you know, out by a set of stairs. Uh, so, like, if you guys can make uh, an engagement happen like that, I think that could also be super powerful. I want to pull up Yasin uh, because uh, startup founder, uh, startup company, I just think there's a lot of uh, connections there. And you guys just did this. So I'd love to, you dropped a lot of great knowledge in the chat. So I'd love for you to share it so that the folks who aren't with us live uh, get the value out of that in the recording in the podcast yeah for sure um yeah what brendan just said actually is is super super good having a speaking and a great engagement and then inviting people right after uh super good how we run our our trade show um we're a software company for manufacturer so what we do is we the, the kind of the boot it's always a 10 by 10 it kind of doesn't matter um we tested one with like the crappiest kind of boot we had one poster and a black wall and that's it not even a computer and still the script that we had kind of was was good enough the, the the script is somebody pass uh, in front of the boot and then you just start chatting with them and you try to learn about them um and uh what we do is we ask hey how are you doing and then say hey hello and we're like hey are you a manufacturer and then from there we try to get them to talk one thing we realize is that everyone at a trade show is trying to network. Um, so you're not disturbing anyone if you're talking to them. And then sometimes it's not a fit. And then you just point them to something interesting you found and, and whatnot. But what we do that is super powerful is uh, we partner with like one or two other companies in the, in the trade show. And then we do a happy hour afterward. So if we're vibing with someone, um, we're not going to try to pitch them our stuff. We're just going to invite them to that event. And then we have a real connection. Uh, and sometimes they, they come by afterward. The next day, they come into the, to the event. Um, and we literally don't talk really about our stuff. They always ask um, after we've, we've dig the bits on their stuff and they see that we're uh, knowledgeable about the space, they will ask you, so what do you do? And then they point to the, to the crappy poster behind and then we just like say roughly what it is. 
um, and from there the the connection is made and uh, it's good enough. Like trying to pitch your stuff at a trade show uh, usually is absolutely useless. It's afterward, like the connection you've made, the follow up you do, the the two hour discussion that you can have with an interesting prospect uh, at the at the event afterward that that matter more. Yeah. And I think that's where like Dale has dropped some like great knowledge in the chat too. Is like, and Aaron, just to chime off of what you said too, it's like, what are you going to be doing with those leads? So like Dale was saying like, okay, you're going to talk to a lot of people, you know, don't ask them just like, hi, how are you? But like, what brings you here? Cause Yasin just said they're there to network. So it's like, you can start learning right away. But then what Dale suggested was like create like a little rank for yourself that way because you're going to talk to like so many people so you know um you know one is the best for goes to the round file which i don't know what a round file is that a rolodex <laughs> Dale? that's that's a trash can okay okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but i mean you know we're always trying to meet people at trade shows and and you're going to have conversations where people are really interested in what you do and Yassine brought up a great point there is some are going to have high interest. Others, they may be looking for something totally different at the show that you may have seen. So, you know, help them out, point them in the right direction. But, uh, you know, one is probably the best one that you get. Those from a sales perspective usually go on a business card in the salesperson's pocket to make sure, you you know, you find out who's hiding those. Mm-hmm. But um, the ones that are two and three, would you go into your marketing funnels? Yeah. So. Yeah. Ryan, on that point. Um... This was a couple years old, um, but Matthew Chanella, when he was still here at Gorilla, we did a trade show episode with him, and he was talking about when he was working at Benzel, he would like like Dale said, like you know, mark like the super hot leads in inside of the uh, like on the on the badge scanner, and then he would every night after the show, he would go and upload all of those leads into the CRM, and then ensure that they those leads got to salespeople so they could follow up as soon as possible, right? To be the first people at the show to reach out to your contacts. Uh, and start a conversation if like dale said like if they're like a one or a two um and and just getting into a conversation with them right away so that you're top of mind with them still they still remember the conversation because remember you know even at the small regional show they're they're probably going to have 100 conversations right so it's going to be easy for them to stop by your booth and forget what happened and then you know you reach out to them you know two weeks later like they've already forgotten everything you already talked about so if you can get in front of them right away start that conversation you're going to set yourself up for that good handoff to sales and starting that conversation with the project cool thanks for all the input and the time super stoked to get all that and i love that being tied to a 10 by 10 for some folks in here wasn't the scariest part of the whole thing so i think that's encouraging Ryan, please report back on how it goes in Slack, uh, you know, after the show. Yeah. And uh, we have a a channel inside the Slack group, too, like uh, called like events in real life. So like if you guys are going to shows, you can post it there and like maybe, I don't know, see other IMLers. That could be cool. It'd be fun. At least share your after action reports on how things went. Um, <laughs> we're always very interested because we like a grill. Like, we don't get out to the field very often for shows. And so uh, it's nice to hear back from you all on how things are going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a I'm so glad we 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 wrapped with that one. Um, Peyton, we need to probably do two hours next year for this. Maybe. Maybe we have a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so I think what we're going to do, um, because we we still have like, you know, a lot of questions that we didn't get to. But um, let's let's do a, a podcast follow up um, too, 
And uh, we also have an Ask Me Anything channel in the Slack group. So like if folks have additional questions you want to pop in there, feel free. Uh, and we will just continue to, to, to answer them the best we can. And everyone here, feel free to jump in and answer. You guys have a lot um, to share, obviously, and uh, lots of lots of great experience. But I just want to say like, thank you so much for a great year. Um, it's been awesome getting to know all of you all here in uh, Zoom. And we're really excited for everything that's to come in 2024. Um, we have a new registration link for the new year. That's one of the downsides of using Zoom for these events is you've got to like set up a new link every year. So uh, believe it or not, we had uh, this year, I just want to share like a little bit of like background into the event. If you guys are curious, I also know we've been on for a while and you might want to drop out. But when we first did this event, this is year, we're, in, we're going into year four now. Um, but, you know, we were lucky to get maybe five to 10 people joining us live. And now, I mean, there are weeks where we have almost 100 people here live, which is just really, really amazing. And um, it's the highlight to of my weeks and, and months in a lot of ways. Um, the other thing is that but not everyone joins us live. I get so much feedback um, here in Industrial Marketing Live that folks love the content. They can't join us at 10 um, Central um, but they listen on the podcast, the manufacturing marketer, or they watch it on YouTube. So I just want to like also just share that little like nugget. Um, if this is something that you guys are thinking of doing in your own, like for your own industries of like creating a space, like just because you don't have a huge crowd, um, that content is still really valuable to people. And, um, you know, folks are following up with us offline about some of the stuff that we talk about here together. So just, it's cool that way. Um, but yeah, i just really excited to see what we do in 2024. Our first episode of the year is going to be January 4th. And um, this will be, I think, the third year in a row that we kick off the year with Google Ads. Um, we're going a little bit deeper than we have in years past. And uh, so I'm really excited to jump in uh, with our demand capture, paid search, pay-per-click uh, conversation. But yeah, just thanks again for making this year great. Uh, Brendan, Aaron, Matthew, thanks for joining and contributing. And thank you everyone for uh, asking great questions in the chat. And we will see you in the new year. Have a good holiday, everyone. Bye. Bye.